You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. I want to welcome you to the service. We're so glad you're here with us today, whether that's in person or online. If we haven't met, I'm Jenny Warns, Discipleship Director at the Birmingham campus, which I just have to mention will be officially reopening for in-person services on May 2nd. Woohoo! Right now, I want to invite you to a couple upcoming opportunities. 
The first is baptism. We're so grateful to be able to offer on-site baptism at all campuses on May 2nd. It's less than a month away. We just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus on Easter and how he's calling all of us into new life. Baptism is the perfect way to demonstrate new life and keep the celebration going. When I was baptized, I'd been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but it was a pivotal moment in my faith journey as I surrendered some significant areas of my life that I'd been holding on to. Baptism was my public declaration of my trust in Jesus and his power to transform me. So if you felt a stirring, a tug, a desire to demonstrate your commitment to follow Jesus, this might be your time. Don't delay. Go to kensingtonchurch.org slash baptism for more information and to register. There's nothing like that moment coming up out of the water, declaring that you're a follower of Jesus and have new life in him. The other event I want to invite you to is online next Sunday evening, April 18th. It's another Faith in the Family event with the one and only, or do I say two and only? Well, it's David Ann Wilson. For Justin and me as parents, some of the best intentional ideas and parenting hacks came from Dave and Ann. So I'm thrilled to have them coming back to share their parental wisdom with us from their brand new book, No Perfect Parents. No one is perfect, but it is perfect timing all the way around. We're in our new series, The Family, here at Kensington this month. Their book is hitting shelves soon, and on the home front, we could really use a bit of encouragement right about now. Any other parents out there agree? So. Put a reminder in your phone for April 18th at 8.30 p.m. and register now for this free online event at kensingtonchurch.org slash faithandfamily. We're starting our new series today, The Family. Coming through the stress of this last year, our families have been stretched like never before. And that stretching has produced some beautiful moments, but also some very painful and broken moments. So this series is about experiencing the transforming and restorative power of Jesus in our families. So. Let's lean in and see what God has for us today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How we doing? We doing good? I want to invite y'all to stand and sing this song out with us. Here we go. How many know that the Lord is a man of his word? That's good news. possible when we believe all chains are breakable when we receive Yahweh you'll keep your promises
Hey, good morning, everyone. That's a great way to start off our day and the journey that we're on today. And for those of you in the room, for those of you who are watching via stream, welcome. So glad that we can be together in this way and connected in this way. And today, and I love that song because it's always to me a powerful reminder that God is a God who keeps his promises. And one of the promises that he gives us in the scriptures is that he desires the absolute best for our families, which is why he tells us how to live and how to love as parents and children and siblings, as well as husbands and wives as well. And when we look back on this past year, it's been a hard year for everyone, including families. And for so many families, the challenge has come in the distance and not being able to physically gather, and especially during the holidays. And that's been hard for so many, including my family. But at the same time, for other families, it's been the total opposite in that not having enough distance and just too much togetherness and always having our children, our parents, our siblings, our spouses around. That's been a huge change. And so this past year, it's put a lot of strain on our families, as Jenny said in the video, but at the same time, not only the strain, there's also been a lot of beautiful moments as well. And so starting today, we're kicking off a brand new series called The Family, where over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at God's heart for our families and really how he desires to transform and restore them to what he created and intended them to be. And we're going to start this series today by looking at fathers. And in the scriptures, the most consistent way that God is portrayed and described is as a father. And it really is a beautiful illustration of how he desires to relate to us and us to him. And so our hope and our prayer today is that for every single one of us, that we would know in a more profound way how deeply we're loved and valued by our heavenly father. And so we're going to step into a moment where we're going to hear this hymn. And it's a hymn that I actually grew up singing in church. And it's called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I feel like that's such a beautiful description of God's father heart for us because his love truly is so deep. And one of the glimpses and probably the clearest description of God's love, the most visible, the most clearly visible that we're able to see it was on the cross, which is what we celebrated last week. And so this is a powerful, powerful song. And so today, let's step into this moment together and allow these words to really impact us. That he should 
When I hear that song, it's a really personal song because um, I think a lot of different emotions come up for me and there's beauty in that song and it gives, gives me joy understanding that I can run to God who is my heavenly father, that no matter what is happening in my life, that I can, I'm able to run to him and he accepts me with open arms. But at the same time, I'm also reminded that I can't do that with my dad, my earthly father. And if you know part of my story, you understand why. And for those of you who don't, I'll be talking a little bit and sharing a little bit more about that. But today, as we're talking about fathers, this week, it just really forced me to actually have to reflect upon that part of my life, my relationship with my dad and my history with my dad and everything that has happened. And I was telling my wife earlier this week that I just don't, I feel like I've talked about this and I've talked about this with counselors, with different people, with mentors, with friends, ad nauseum in my life and the pain and the hurt and everything that has surrounded that relationship. And I told her that I just don't want to do that again. I just don't have to go and visit that part of my life or that part of my, that, that room in my heart. And probably for some of you, you feel exactly the same way because your relationship with your dad has been a source of pain and has been difficult for one reason or another. And maybe for others of us, we're on the total other end of the spectrum in that we have an amazing relationship with our dad, something that us, it's, he's someone who has invested in us in such beautiful ways. And maybe still for others of us, we're somewhere in the middle where it's a mixed bag. But wherever we are today, whatever that relationship may be, our hope is 
is that our relationship, that today that we would catch a glimpse of our heavenly father because oftentimes our relationship with our earthly father will impact our relationship with our heavenly father and not even oftentimes, it does. And so our really, our hope and our desire today is that we would catch a fuller glimpse of who God is in his beauty, in his majesty, in his glory, in his perfection. Because when we do, it not only impacts our relationship with him, but it also impacts and transforms the way that we relate to others. And so as we continue on, would you join me in prayer? And so God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are our heavenly father. And we thank you, Lord, that no matter what has happened in our life, that we can always come to you, that we can always run to you, Lord, because the love that you have for us is truly deep and was most visibly seen on the cross, Lord. That's a beautiful picture of how deeply you love us. And so, Lord, I recognize that for some people here, whether they're here in this room or watching on stream, Lord, that we have difficult, we have father wounds, Lord, and have had a very difficult experience with our fathers, Lord. And others of us, we're on the other end, and others of us, it's, we're in the middle somewhere, Lord. But wherever we are, I pray, Lord, that today give us a fuller, Lord, a more complete picture of who you are, Lord, in our lives as our Father. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your care for us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. And so my relationship with my dad, uh, it wasn't really all that long because my dad passed away of cancer when I was four. And I don't have many pictures of my dad, but this is one of the few pictures that I do have and it's of our family. And this is, I was three, my sister was four, and this was the day that my dad graduated with his PhD. And because I only knew him for four years, I don't have a whole lot of memories of him either because I was so young for most of my life. But one of the memories that I do have, or some of the memories that I have, is that he loved spending time with us and he loved taking us on adventures. And when he was in grad school, he would, on most nights, he would study really, really late at school, but occasionally he would call in the early evening and he would ask my mom, do you guys wanna go camping? And my mom was always up for an adventure, and so she would pack everything up. She would get us ready, and then at about midnight, my dad would come home, and we would pile into our light blue Chevy Nova, and we would drive into the Rocky Mountains to go camping at that in very, very early in the morning. And that kind of stuff happened over and over and over again. And as a little boy, I wanted to be exactly like my dad. And when my dad came home for dinner every night, he would go through the same pre-dinner routine and that he would have his white tank top on and he would go into the bathroom, into the bathtub, and he would wash his face, his hands, and his feet. And as a little guy, I was right there behind him with my little white tank top on, ready to do exactly the same. And those are the memories that I have of my dad. And losing him at such a young age, it profoundly impacted the way that I view and understood God. Because for so many years, I viewed God as someone who was distant, someone who was uncaring, and someone who refused to intervene in my life when I needed him the most because I looked at him and I said, why would you not save my dad? Why would you not help him? Because after he passed away, my family went through so much, so many difficulties, so many challenges, and so many hardships. And so this is how I largely viewed God. It was through this lens. And when we look at the scriptures, the most common way that God is portrayed is as a father. 
And one of the first times that God was referred to as a father, the first time, was by Jesus in the New Testament. Because up to that time, it was unheard of that anyone would refer to the God of the universe, the all-powerful God, in this intimate of a manner. And when we actually look at the times that Jesus referred to God, every time except for once, he referred to him as father. But yet when we think about that word father, it's a loaded term, it's a weighted term. It carries a lot of baggage with it, both positive and negative, probably for every single one of us. And so this is what I wanted to do, right? I need your help in doing this. So you guys ready to do this with me? Awesome. I didn't even tell you what it is, but you guys are in. That's good. And so this is what I wanted to do, right? Because every, every one of us, we have different perspectives of what a father is. And so when you actually think of the word father, what is the, what is the first word that comes to mind? Just feel free to yell it out. Caring. Caring. Just keep going. Loving. Kind. Kind. I love that. Cool. Strong. Provider. Protector, I heard. Funny. I, want, I need to meet your dad. That's good. Cool. Got that. Anything else? Role model. Absent. Those are great words. And even this week, I was having conversations with different people. I was even asking my kids, like, what do you think of when you think of father? What do you think of when you think of me? And just so many different people. And a lot of these words came up. But also some other words that I didn't anticipate came up as well. In that somebody said mean. Another person I remember said unforgiving. Callous was another one. Another one that somebody said, which really broke my heart, was abusive. And there are so many different words that come to mind when we think of father, both good and bad. And it's always going to be a mixed bag because our fathers are just like us. They are broken human beings. And they're not going to be good 100% of the time. And so it's all of this and so much more. But this is why it's so important, is that the way that we view and understand our dad will impact the way that we view and understand God. There's a connection, there is a correlation there. And that is why our relationship with our earthly father every single time will impact our relationship with our heavenly father. It's inevitable. And there was this author and scholar as well as pastor named A.W. Tozer. And he said something so powerful one time. He wrote it in one of his books in that he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that is so true. Because what we actually think about God will determine how we relate to him. And so if we believe that God is caring and kind and cool and strong and provider, a provider, if we believe that that is the type of father that he is, that when life gets hard, when we face difficulties and challenges, what we're going to do is we're going to run to him because we believe that he's all these things, that he's going to help us, that he is strong and he's going to give us that strength to carry us through. But if we believe that God is absent, that he's mean, that he's unforgiving, that he's callous, that he's abusive, we're going to have the total opposite reaction. 
We're going to keep him at arm's length, or worse yet, we are going to run away. And that is why it is so important that what we think about God, which so often comes from who this person is in our lives, will determine not only how we relate to him, but also how we relate to other people in our lives as well, including our family. And one of the most recognizable stories that Jesus ever told in the Gospels was about a family. And it's such a powerful story, and many of you probably have heard it before. And it illustrates how God, as our Father, desires to relate to us and us to him. And it's commonly known as the story of the prodigal son. And this story really has two parts to it. And the first part focuses on the younger son, and the second part focuses on the older son. And this is what Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Luke. It says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And this is what we need to understand. For the people who were listening to Jesus at this time, they would have been absolutely floored that this younger son had the guts to go to his father and make this request. Because what we have to understand is that back in that day, if you, if you were a father and you had two sons, when you died, two-thirds of your estate would go to your older son and a third to your younger son. And that was because the older son would always receive a double portion of what all the other children received. But this only would happen when the father died. And so the fact that this younger son is coming to his, older, to his dad and saying, hey, give me my inheritance now, he was saying, basically communicating, I wish you were dead. He was saying, Dad, I want your stuff, but I do not want you. And years ago, one of my uncles actually asked the same thing of his father, my grandfather. And my grandfather got so angry, he was so hurt, so insulted, it resulted in this massive fight. And my uncle basically got kicked out of the family. And it was so sad because it created a rift in our family that has never been resolved. And my grandfather actually passed away a year and a half ago, and my uncle wasn't and how my grandfather responded to my uncle is how the people who were listening to this story would have expected this father to respond to this ungrateful, insensitive, terrible son. And so you can imagine that they were totally floored listening to this story, that this son would make this request, but equally floored that this father actually says yes. And he, what he does, because it forces his father to sell his land, and then he takes a third of that, and he gives it to his younger son. And then Jesus tells us that what this guy did is he goes off to a distant place, sort of probably like Vegas, and he just blows it all in a very short period of time until he finds himself literally in the mud with the pigs. And it's there that he has this light bulb moment. And he recognizes, you know what? My father's servants actually have it better than I do. And so he comes up with a plan to then go home and to try to work for his dad. And so he's walking home, and while he's still far away, his father sees him, and this was his response. But while he, meaning his younger son, was still, was still a long way off, his father saw him, and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And what we have to understand is that back then, Middle Eastern patriarchs, they did not run. Women ran, children ran, but fathers and estate owners did not run. Because in order for them to run, they would have to lift up their robes and expose their legs. 
And it didn't matter. You could have the best looking legs in the world, but this is something that you did not do. It was taboo in that culture. It was considered incredibly undignified. But this guy didn't care. He loved his son so much, he said, forget about the customs, forget about the traditions. Who cares what other people think? And he just starts sprinting towards his son. And I can imagine that this was the very first time his son had ever seen his father run. And so he's standing there in the road and he sees his dad running at him. And he's probably thinking, I better get my PowerPoint presentation out because I got one shot at doing this. But before he's even able to do any of this, this is what his father did. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And so he throws him a huge party. And what then happens is the older son, we get into the second act, the older son comes back from the field where he had been working all day and he hears all this commotion and all this noise and he's like, what in the world is going on? And so he calls one of the servants over to tell him. And this is what the servant says to the older brother. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we, ha- but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so the older brother is absolutely furious. This guy is like steam coming out of his ears. And he goes to his father and he says, I have worked so hard for you my entire life. I have served you and done everything that you wanted and you didn't give me a thing. But this guy comes home, this guy who insulted you, humiliated you and wasted everything that you gave him and you give him the fattened calf. And I remember hearing this story for the first time as a kid in Sunday school. And I was thinking to myself, what's up with the fattened calf, right? Because that's, it's got to mean something because this older brother really is upset about this. And what we have to understand is that back in that day, people didn't, didn't rarely did they have meat at a meal. And if you did have meat at a meal, it was usually a party and the whole village would be there. And the most expensive thing that you could do was to slay the fattened calf. And I can sort of imagine it was like Wagyu beef back in the day. You know, like the fattened calf, they might have had this place out in the field where it said fattened calves can only eat here because it was like special type of grass. Or maybe they got a massage every day. Who knows what happened? But what Jesus is trying to tell us is that this is the type of party that his father threw. He went all out. And when I was reading this this past week, I was, I was reminded of years ago, my wife Robin and I lived in northern New Jersey, right across the river from New York. And when we got there, we were, we were stunned by the type of weddings that they would have. Because that area is probably one of the most expensive areas to get married in the country. But people would routinely spend eighty, dollars $100,000 on their wedding day. And I remember one of the first weddings that we ever went to was in this beautiful banquet hall. I had never been to a place like this in my life. And so the wedding was beautiful. It was in a gorgeous place. But let me tell you, the reception 
That was amazing because the food was something I had never experienced this. They had like lobster, crab, and mussels, all this other amazing stuff. But for me, what was so impressive to me was they had this massive sushi bar. And I basically camped out there for the whole time. I don't even know what my wife Robin was doing, right? I was just eating and eating and eating. And let me tell you, all of this, they were just the hors d'oeuvres, right? And so I didn't even have space, like the filet. I was like, I can't eat that. And so this is the type of party. This was like, it's, these weddings were like once in a lifetime events. Who spends $80,000, $100,000 on an event for one day? And I can imagine that's the type of party that this father threw for his younger son. And so his older brother is there and he's so angry. And he humiliates his father by refusing to go into the largest feast that his father had ever thrown. And so it forces his father to come out to meet his older son. And his, fa- and his older son then further insults him and humiliates him by refusing to refer to him as father. But as we read, how he refers to him is that he basically says, look. And you can trans- you can- he basically was saying, look you and talking down to him and disrespecting him. And then he goes off on him. And when you actually look at the father's response to his son, it's so incredibly gracious because he says to him, my son, my child, I I want you to come in. Every other father would have disowned you by now, but I still want it. I still want you. I still want you to come in and I still want to be with you. And we're left wondering, what's this older son going to do? What's going to happen Right? Is the family going to come together? Is it going to splinter apart? And Jesus doesn't tell us. He's like, the end, end of story, right? Let's, let's move on. And I feel like if this was a Hollywood movie, there definitely would have been a sequel, but there wasn't. And that's the end, and we don't know. And when it comes to these two sons, these two brothers, they had a lot of differences. But one commonality that they shared was that they both had a distorted and incorrect view of their father, which which impacted their relationship with him. Because the younger brother, when he looked at his father, he saw a genie in a bottle. He basically saw a means to his own end. And then later on, he saw his father as a master, someone to seek restitution and forgiveness from. And the older brother also saw his father as a master, but a master to please and to serve. And their distorted view of their father also resulted in a, distorted, in a distortion in their relationship as well, dysfunction in their relationship. Because the younger brother, this guy was so self-focused and self-centered in that in making this request and asking for his inheritance, he didn't even consider how this would impact his brother and, his older, and the older brother, that he basically looked down and resented his younger brother. And both of these guys were slaves. Both of these guys were lost. And this story, as I mentioned earlier, is more commonly known as a story of the prodigal son. And many people, they understand that word prodigal to mean wayward or rebellious. And I've had people in the past come up to me and ask me, hey, can you please pray for my prodigal or my rebellious son or daughter because they're making awful choices in life. And I, my hope is, is that one day they'll do a 180, they'll wake up, they'll do a 180 and they'll come back. But that's not what prodigal means. Because if you actually look up this word in the dictionary, it means to be exceedingly generous or lavishly wasteful. To be exceedingly generous and lavishly wasteful. And when you actually hear that definition of what prodigal means, 
absolutely, the younger son was a prodigal son because he is lavishly wasteful with his inheritance, blows it all in this tiny period of time. But at the same time, when you also look at the characters in this story, the father was also a prodigal as well because he is exceedingly generous and lavishly wasteful with his love towards his two undeserving sons. And what Jesus is trying to communicate, one of the things that Jesus is trying to communicate in this story is that this is God's heart for us, is that who God is, and Jesus is saying, is that he is a prodigal father. And that God towards us, towards you and towards me, he is exceedingly generous and lavishly wasteful in how he loves us. And probably one of the very first times that I remember experiencing this was in high school. And my high school experience was awful. I went through two and a half to three years of just where it was just such a dark period in my life. And I found myself just utterly hopeless. And there were so many things that were going on in my life. But probably the worst thing was that during that period, I was being bullied at school. And almost every single night, I would sit in the dark in my room right before I would go to bed and I would cry and I would cry and I would cry and I would ask God the same question over and over and over again. Why did you have to take my dad from me? Why did you have to take my dad from me? And what I would also do on a lot of those nights, I was just let it rip on God. All my anger, all my frustration, all my disappointment, I would just direct it all towards him. And the thing is, is that God never answered my question. But looking back on that season of my life, I feel like he gave me something even greater. Because during that time on so many nights, I could feel, I could not see, but I could feel the presence of God right beside me, feeling my pain to the very core of my being. As real as you all are to me right now, that's how real that experience was. And whenever he showed up, I, could, I knew that he understood and I knew that he cared. And that changed everything for me. That the God of the universe, the one who I insulted, the, the one that I would just totally just, just say whatever I wanted to and insult and hurt and maybe even humiliate through my words, that he would care enough about me to show up for me night after night after night and to feel my pain and to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. It blew me away and it changed my life. And it shows us, this story, it shows us the heart of God, that this is who he is. It's not just in this story, but it's now today that he is a prodigal father, that he is exceedingly generous and lavishly wasteful with his love. That no matter what we have said, no matter what we have done, no matter the mistakes that we have made, that he comes to us and he says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Even if we will never ever say it in return, he comes to us and he opens his arms and says, I wanna have a relationship with you. Would you come and follow me? It's the heart of our father. He is a prodigal father. He's generous. And speaking of generosity, and we're gonna jump in back in the story in a moment, and that generosity is something that I've seen so clearly in this community, especially over this past year. 
And you, so many of you have been so generous with your resources. And so what we wanted to also do at this time is we wanted to move into our offering moment as well. And I consider our offering moment to be a continuation of our worship. It's another sacred moment. And to me, and I've said this before, is that this moment is not primarily about money. It truly is about mission. And that when we give, we contribute to the mission of God in moving it forward, not just locally, but globally as well. And so thank you so much for all of you who have contributed, and I'm so incredibly grateful for you. And so if you would like to give, there are a number of ways that you can do so. And the first is by texting the word Kensington to 77977. You can also give via our app or our website. You can send a check-in to our physical location right here at our Troy campus or at every entrance and exit. For those of you who are in the room, we have buckets with orange tops on, and you can also place your offering in there as well. But going back to the story, what we also see, and this father, there's so many things about this father that we could probably talk about him for weeks. But what the father also does is that in this story for both of his sons, the father takes the first step towards his sons. And this is what Jesus also says, just going back to this verse that we read earlier. Jesus tells us this, but while he, meaning the younger son, this is when the younger son is coming back for, to his father for the first time. But while the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And this is what's so powerful to me about this moment is that the kiss from the father came before the confession and that before the son had an opportunity to say anything, before the son says, I'm sorry, I apologize for wasting everything and hurting you, before he even utters a word, the father embraces him and he hugs him. And I can imagine he's standing there before his father gets to him and I can imagine as he sees his father approaching, this younger son is filled with fear and shame and doubts, thinking to himself, what in the world is going to happen? Is he going to humiliate me? Is he going to tell me to go away? What is, is he going to accept my plan? But the father does something even more incredible in that he doesn't come up to him because you got to understand, this younger son, he probably smells awful. The dude is hanging out with pigs, right? And so this... The, the father doesn't come up to him and say, oh my goodness, you smell awful. Go take a bath, go eat something, go get changed, and then we'll have a conversation. He doesn't do that. But his love for his younger son overwhelms him, and he embraces him. And through his embrace, he's communicating, I love you, I accept you, welcome home, son. And he does the same thing for his older son as well, because this guy refuses to come into the party. And so his father comes, and he doesn't just take the first step, he takes he, he goes all the way. He takes all the steps. And he meets him where he is, in his anger and in his frustration. And this father, he extends the same invitation to both of his sons, and that he says, would you come and would you be with me? And this is the same invitation that God extends to you and to me as well. And so what if, what if the greatest thing that God could do for us is not to give us something, not to answer something, not to heal something. But what if the greatest thing that God could do for us is to give us more of himself, something that gets better with time and something that truly lasts forever. And I love the words of an author by the name of Max Lucado, and this is what he has to say. He says, God's present is his presence. His greatest gift is himself. And when we actually say 
yes to God's invitation to come and be with him. What we're able to come to realize, what we're able to come to understand in a deeper way is who God is as a father and his father heart towards us. That God as our father is better than the worst parts of our dad. But at the same time, what's also so important to understand is that God as our father is also better than the best parts of our dad. Because who God is, is that he's just not a prodigal father, but he is also a perfect father. He's not a mixed bag, but he is all of this and so much more, better than the best parts of our dad, which, we can't, which I can't even imagine what that is like. And so he invites us to come. And there's another invitation in the Old Testament and it was given by, and it's in this book called the Psalms. And it was written by a king, the second king of the nation of Israel, a man by the name of David. And it's a verse that I cling on to and I'm reminded by often. And in this verse, David says, it's an invitation, it's a challenge. And what he says is taste and see that the Lord is good. And when he is saying taste and see, he is saying, I want you to investigate. I want you to explore. I want you to study. Don't take my word for it. But figure it out for yourself who God is. And for us, what that might mean is reading the scriptures. It might be praying. It might be doing it in community and having conversations with other people, trying to figure out, is this Jesus thing really legitimate? Is, it, is he actually real? And if this is actually something that you want to do, it's a perfect time to jump into our courses because they're actually going to be kicking off this week. And we have things like Alpha where it's a place where you can ask any questions that you want about God. No question is off limits. We also have Bible basics, and we also have something called Pathways, which is being led by our discipleship director, Corey Hendrickson, and it's on spiritual practices. And so if you would like to learn more, if you would like to jump in, you can go out to the hub. Corey's going to be out there for those of you in the room, or you can also go to our app and our website, and all the information is there as well. But David's challenge to us is figure it out yourself. Explore yourself. Because God isn't someone who's hard to be found. He wants to show himself. He wants us to meet with him. And so he says, taste and see. Because when we actually do this, what he is confident our conclusion will be is that we will know that the Lord is good. That when we actually seek him, that we will discover that he is a prodigal father and that he is also a perfect father as well. And this past week, I was just thinking about my dad. And even though my dad passed away at such a young age, that my birth certificate tells me, and I was looking at it this week, my birth certificate tells me and proves that I had a dad. That I, Kim Hyung, and that's my Korean name, that I am the son, the only son of Kim Jong-un, who is my dad. And that it does not matter what happens to that document. I could lose it, it could burn, it could get shredded. But nothing can change that reality that I am his son and that he is my dad. But there is also another reality, which I think is so incredible. That when we say yes to embracing the death of Jesus, that we are adopted into the family of God. And that what happens is, is that we have a spiritual birthday. We are born into a new family. And what we have is not just a prodigal father, but we also have a perfect father. So I am the son of Kim Jong-un. 
But at the same time, I also think it's even more amazing that I am also the son of the living God and nothing can change that. And for those who have said yes to following Jesus for the rest of their life, this is your reality as well, is that he is your father and you are his son and daughter. And as his son and daughter, he is exceedingly generous and lavishly wasteful. And he keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And he says, it does not matter what you have done, that I love you. I accept you for who you are. And he's not like our fathers, no matter how great they may be, and that he does not make mistakes. He does, he's not vindictive. He's not unforgiving. But rather, he comes to us in all his perfection, and he shows us the beauty and the life that can only be found in him. And so my challenge to all of us, whether we're here in the room or we're watching on stream, is that today that we would take him up on his offer and that truly we would taste and see, that we would investigate, we would explore, and we would seek him to try to figure out, God, who are you? Because he wants to be found. And as we are on this journey, that we will realize more and more and more the extraordinary nature of who our heavenly father is. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. And so God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your care for us. We thank you for who you are in our life, that you are a prodigal father, one who so deeply loves us and is so generous with your love. But at the same time, you are our perfect father without blemish, one who doesn't make mistakes. But sometimes, Lord, for me and for, and for every single one of us, Lord, it's hard for us to picture you like this because our earthly father, Lord, is not necessarily like that, isn't like that, no matter how great he is, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that as we pursue you, that that would be our heart. As we seek you, that you would reveal more of who you are and so that we would see your beauty, your love, your hope, your joy in a clear way. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God, that you are a father who desires to be found. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. You know, as I was listening to uh, Andrew's message, I began to really think about um, the way that I view our Heavenly Father and the way that I view my father. I grew up with my father. He's still like my hero. Uh, I look at him and, and I just, as a kid growing up, everything I did, I just wanted to make sure that he was proud. And as I got older and I became a teenager who doesn't make good choices and things like that, I, I always remember feeling like, oh, man, I don't want to disappoint my dad. I don't want to make him upset with me or anything like that. But he was so loving and, and forgiving and always accepted me. But I, as I got older and started to step into a relationship and my relationship with my Heavenly Father started to become more personal and real to me, I realized that there are times right, where I would realize that I just don't think I'm necessarily worthy of that kind of love. But we serve a God who loves us with arms wide open, who says that any shame or any guilt or anything that we are feeling, we can come and lay it all at his feet. And nothing, scripture tells us, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. That is good news. That's good news for us all. So I want to sing this song where there's a part of it that says, check your shame at the door because it's not welcome here anymore. It's called The Father's House. I invite you to stand as we sing this out together.
Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for me to break. My story isn't over, my story's just begun. Failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. journey's where you are. You never wanted perfect, you just wanted my And the story isn't over, if the story isn't good. No failures never final when the Father's in
Are y'all cool if we sing one more together? All right, I don't want to make y'all late for lunch or anything, but uh, now we're going to sing this song. Alina's going to lead us in this song. And y'all might have listened to the words of that last song and said, you know, that sounds all good, checking my shame at the door, but it's just not that easy. Sometimes I feel like that's what I want to do. I want to lay it all at the feet of Jesus, but, but I can't necessarily do that. But how many know we serve a Lord that makes a way when it seems like there is no way? I think two people were excited about that. I know I'm excited about that. How many know that the Lord makes a way when there seems to be no way? Man, Lena's going to lead us in this song called Waymaker. I think y'all know it. Let's sing it out.
never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Come on, everybody. Even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you work. reminder that God makes a way, that he has made a way, and he makes a way for us to come to know him more as our father. And so if that is where, if that's where you are and you want to learn more, jump into a course. As I mentioned, Corey's going to be out there, or you can go online as well. Also want to invite you to come back this Wednesday at 7 o'clock, whether it's in person or via stream. We have midweek where we're continuing to look at the greatest chapter in the Bible, or what some theologians and scholars have called that. And so we want to invite you to come for that. But thanks so much for being here, everyone, whether you're here in person or on stream. Have a great rest of your weekend. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.